On today's episode, we're going to be talking about six myths about suffering on Soul Zero Two. And welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. Our goal is to encourage the average believer in Christ to continue to follow Jesus and to love Him. And if you're struggling today, this word is for you. Suffering can destroy you or it can develop you. It can overthrow your faith or establish it, especially during long seasons of sudden or, or sudden tragedies. And what makes our suffering a perilous ordeal is when we have unbiblical ideas about the suffering. For instance, myth number one, all suffering is a result of sin. Think about these assumptions. These seems, uh, assumptions were made by the disciples when they came upon a blind man in John 9.1. It said, as he walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. And Jewish tradition from, from the Old Testament was basically the belief that a parent's sins are visited on their children. It was very common, and God even had to come against that in the Old Testament where he says, you know, the parents are going to be accountable for their own sins. But here, God addresses his broken creation, in this case, a blind man. And he then instructs his disciples that his blindness had nothing to do with anyone's specific sins but that he was born blind so that God's works may be manifested. So suffering gives God an opportunity to display his power in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the broken world. Myth number two, God is displeased with me or God is not happy with me. That's why I'm going through all this. If a person believes this, then they also tend to believe that God is some moody, irritable, person who is ready to, to drop the hammer whenever we irritate him. Thank God he's, he's really not that way. We know that in our hearts. But we can get this from maybe our parents growing up, or maybe we experienced rejection, or went through some bizarre experience where we somehow apply that template to God. Myth number three, God is punishing me for what I did. Now this comes from the idea that we confuse God's correction for God's judgment. And so God is, in judgment, God is this cruel and unpredictable person just looking to punish you. I grew up with this punitive idea of God in the Pentecostal church, that everything was always judgment, everything was always God is just waiting to punish you, and He's waiting to drop the hammer on you. And if you're legalistic, like I grew up, you struggle with this, that you could never please God enough or make Him happy. But here's two ways to look at it. Correction is aimed at growth and maturity. Chastening, right? In other words, another word for correction is chastening, which means discipline or training or schooling. So the Bible says that God loves those He chastens, so He loves those He schools. So there's a suffering that happens when God says, die to the flesh, because suffering says you got to say no to sin, right? And to certain things in your life. Judgment, however, on the other hand, is is final separation from God. So correction is aimed at growth and maturity, but judgment is aimed at the final separation of God, and you see that towards the end of time. And Jesus said in John 12, 47, 
I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge on the last day. The word that I have spoken to you will serve as judge. So you see how judgment comes at the end of time and is reserved for the end of time. But now, if you're a believer and follower of Christ, what you experience, if, if there's suffering in it and God is in it, it's correction in a way. And so myth number four, suffering means that life is bad. I think about the Greek idea of perfection and beauty. When you read about it, it sounds really wonderful, but it, it was deeply flawed. If Plato believed that beauty had something to do with symmetry and balance and evenness and, and, and perfection, flawlessness. And our idea of beauty came from the Greeks. In other words, if something was perfect in balance and symmetry, it had to be beautiful and vice versa. The problem is, is that the world's idea of beauty and perfection can't deal with suffering because suffering is an ugly ordeal. And if you are in an ugly situation, then life is no longer perfect or beautiful if you have this mindset. And this is why sometimes we, we think that, you know, that suffering mean, means that life is bad because it's ugly and we don't want that, right? Myth number five, I'm suffering because I lack faith. I grew up hearing this, you know, back and forth. Now, in the strictest sense, this could be true. If, if God tells you to trust him with your finances, let's say, that he's going to provide. And if you cause yourself suffering by staying up all night and worrying about the money, then that's your problem, right? You, you didn't believe God. In, in that sense, you lack faith and, and you, you suffer because of it. But here's what I mean in another sense, that this can become a myth and a very dangerous myth. Years ago, I heard a, a speaker who was, she was one of the winners of Miss America, like many years ago, and she was a strong believer in Christ. And her and her husband had just lost their, their little boy to cancer. And they had sought God and fasted and prayed and, you know, they were declaring the word over them and just the scriptures. And the, the boy still died. And someone during that season insensitively approached them and said, well, he died because you didn't have enough faith. This is what I mean by this is not that. When I am suffering because I lack faith, and because I didn't cause that thing to happen and it's a crisis in my life, I have to really think through and make sure that it's it's the right kind of suffering. I know a fellow minister, he's a, a good friend, who went on a 21-day fast because his boy, 12 years old, had cancer. And he, man, he lost so much weight, he was so gaunt and skinny and just saying, I'm believing God, I'm declaring God's word, I'm, I'm trusting God, his son dies. Does that mean he didn't have enough faith? Absolutely not. And so, and maybe that's for another another time, right? And we kind of talked about that last time about suffering, that why why they're suffering, because the world is broken. And, and not all wars are always won, right? Not, not all spiritual warfare is always won, because we live in a broken world. Myth number six, I did everything right, I shouldn't be suffering, right? I call it the Job Syndrome. It's especially painful when you see evil people prosper and they have great health, they have great favor, and they're just doing great, and you're not. Job 1.1, 1, 1, there, there was once a man in the land of Uz named Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So Job, in a sense, did everything right. 
he, he, he even interceded for his children and offered sacrifices for his children to make sure they didn't sin, you know? And yet he suffered greatly. What about John the Baptist? He was considered by Jesus the greatest person who ever lived. Jesus said in, in, in Luke 7, 28, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What a powerful, powerful idea that God looks at us, right? And he says, hey, you're great. And here's why you're great, but you're still going to go through this. And if you read the, about the life of John, he really had a rough time. He spent lots of time in prison. So suffering is an, an inevitable, inevitable part of a broken world. If there were no spiritual corruption, there would be no suffering. If there were no death, no sickness, and no disease, then it means that, that we, we, we wouldn't be living in this broken world. But I want to give you maybe a bigger picture of suffering like we did last time, but this is a little more specific. All the violence and corruption, all the wars and the bloodshed, all the murders and mass shootings sound an alarm that the world is broken and it cannot bear the weight of the evil that is infesting it. We know that the scriptures tell us that the world is under the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. And so think about murder and violence, for instance. The first recorded murder was when Cain killed his brother Abel. And in this story, we, we find that the land immediately reacted to the evil that was spilt upon it, meaning blood. And God said to Cain this, he said in Genesis 4.10, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. There, there's a relationship between the land and between living right and or, or not right. The land reacts to it. But think about moral corruption, right? The evil that is in the world, the moral corruption, the violence, the debauchery, the immorality, the perversion. When depravity and immorality touch the world, it makes the world sick. Leviticus 18.25 says, Thus the land became defiled, and I punished it for its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. Think about this. This is exactly what happened to the Hebrews. The land that God gave them was, during Joshua's time, it was wonderful. They followed God, but after Joshua died and, and the start of the period of the judges, man, all hell broke loose and people just started, started worshiping idols and living in immorality and murdering. And, and then the land eventually vomited them out, right? And they spent 70 years in captivity. And this is way, you know, hundreds of years later. But what about natural disasters? Why does that happen? Why do horrible things happen where people die? Natural disasters don't exist in, did not exist in the garden. Think about this, because the garden was perfect. But they only exist in a world that is broken because of sin. Matthew 24 speaks the words of Jesus again, where he said, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of this is but the beginning of birth pangs. So what is the only truth that we need to know today? What, you know, that was kind of my subtitle today, you know, six myths about suffering and the only truth you need to believe. So what is the only truth you really need to know here? It is this, that God redeems suffering when you give it to Him. The question isn't why Israel suffering, or how could God allow this? We, we spoke about this last time. But how does God 
Uh, rather, what does God do with my pain? So I can see God as either a judge where he's heaping judgment on me, or I can see him as the great healer that will bring good out of it. Think about Job's friends in Job 13, 1 through 12, the story, you know, they came in to, to bless Job and stand with him and, 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 and be with him. But all they saw was God as judge, because they said, well, obviously, Job, you're sinning, so you have to repent. You have to make it right, because you're going through this, and we're righteous, and, you know, we're not going through this, so obviously something's wrong with you. So two ways that we can see God's suffering is God is either judging us, or He is causing all things to work together for good. God doesn't try to explain our pain. He recycles our pain into breakthrough in a broken world. Again, Job, God recycled Job's pain and gave him twice as much as he had lost. And in the end, he was very blessed, wasn't he? So God, he redeems suffering, but also God purchases something in the fire. In other words, there's something in the fiery trial that is purchased that you could not purchase anywhere else. Certain truths can only be purchased in that struggle. A child doesn't learn uh, to touch the not to touch the stove by by going to a class, a child usually learns not to touch the stove by touching the stove. And when we go through the fire, man, there are lessons there that are valuable more than anything you can imagine. Revelation three eighteen says, "Therefore I, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire." But lastly, I want to say this: God brings us into His intimate fellowship. We tend to be closest to God when we suffer period. I'm not saying God makes you suffer to be closer to Him, but I'm saying that when He's bringing good out of our pain, we get closer to Him if we begin seeking Him. When we suffer, we will learn to die to ourselves, to come into a place of intimacy with God that we could not otherwise. And so, think about the intimacy of a foxhole when two soldiers are together. They become soul brothers, and they have each other's backs. And it is said that Men will not fight necessarily for their country as much as they'll fight for their foxhole buddy because they don't want them to die, so they'll fight for them. And people who suffer together form a powerful bond, don't they? Paul knew this when he suffered in relation to Jesus. In Philippians 3.10, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings, becoming like Him, in his death. So if this podcast blessed you, please leave a like and 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 join us on on the different uh, you know uh, platforms we're on. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google, and and uh, and now we're 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 very happy to join the the Charisma Network. So we're on, we're on there now. If you want to join us, so join us and and subscribe. Okay. So God bless you and have a great day.